Hello and welcome to the Earthside Echo, your source for all the latest dispatches from Earthside. In this episode, we return once again to the trial of Captain Samantha Thrace. So far, we have heard testimony from her time fighting pirates on the high seas and battling horrors that lie in the tunnels beneath the city of London. As we pick up the story, we hear testimony relating to her participation in more clandestine matters. I hope you enjoy part three of Trial by Fire. Courtroom. The courtroom stirred with uncomfortable silence once Thrace was finished speaking. So, the defence attorney asked, his hands still clutching his book. Why did you save this man's life after he tried to kill you? Thrace shook her head. There was no sense in letting Price die. But the way you tell it, he was as bad as the monsters you were sent there to hunt. Thrace considered this for a long moment. That our greatest foes are often other people is both the source of my greatest hope and also my greatest horror. Humanity has bigger concerns right now, and Price was just doing what he thought was right for his country. He had skills in the tunnels that England needed to battle the hordes in the underground. Why isn't he here testifying today? The prosecutor ruffled through some papers and then spoke up. Mr Price was tragically killed in action one week ago. It seems there was a major attack by the hordes using the tunnels, and Price blew the tunnel he was in ending the attack and his life. The defence attorney turned to the magistrate. Your Honour, if Captain Thrace hadn't saved that man, he would not have been around to save countless other lives. It is good to know that Captain Thrace values people who are still useful to her. The prosecutor climbed to his feet and shooed the defence attorney back to his desk. And when people are no longer useful, how long do they survive your assistance then, Captain? Thrace rolled her eyes. The prosecutor consulted his notes. Another point, Captain. You said the hordes were worshipping an idol, praying. That's right, Thrace confirmed. Prayer and worship are the realms of man. These were mere animals with no cohesive thought. Isn't it more likely that you betrayed Price and his men, as he claimed, and then fashioned this unbelievable lie in an attempt to cover yourself? If that were the case... It would have been easier for me to admit that part of my story. Thrace pointed out, If the Horde are mere animals, how did they coordinate a massive attack upon our world? If they're just animals, how did they bring one of the greatest nations in the world to its knees? The prosecutor waved his hand. Consider the question dropped. He turned back to the magistrate. Your Honour, since the defence has no further witnesses... Thrace's eyes widened slightly as she noticed someone sitting at the back of the courtroom. Thrace hadn't seen the woman enter the room, but she was glad to see her. With all due respect, Your Honour, I do have one final witness, Margaret Bell. The colour drained out of the faces of the prosecutor and magistrate alike. Thrace's defence attorney just stared at her as if she had gone mad. The magistrate glared at her. Unfortunately, this court does not have enough time to contact Miss Bell, even if her schedule allowed. My schedule is quite clear, Margaret called from the back of the courtroom. The prosecutor jumped in surprise, and Thrace's defence attorney stumbled back and nearly tripped over his chair. The woman seated at the back of the courtroom was wearing a deep blue dress that complemented her long, snowy hair. 
A faint smile lingered on her somewhat angular face as she motioned toward the front of the room. Should I? The magistrate sighed and gestured towards the simple chair that served as the witness stand. Please take the stand, Miss Bell, and answer the questions asked of you. Margaret glided to the front of the room and gracefully lowered herself into the witness chair as Thrace returned to her own seat. The defence attorney bit his lip as he looked between Thrace and Margaret. Miss Bell, I believe that everyone here is familiar with your, uh, contributions to the war effort, but could you please stay at your occupation for the court? She shook her head. I'm sorry, that's classified. The answer seemed to catch him off guard, and he glanced up at the magistrate for assistance. The burly man just shook his head and motioned for the defence attorney to continue. Very well. Can you, uh, describe your first meeting with Miss Thrace? This time, Margaret smiled. I can describe those parts which are not classified. I assume that will be sufficient. The defence attorney nodded and motioned for her to continue. based on the testimony of Margaret Bell. Thrace sat in a small tea shop, waiting for someone from the Secret Service Bureau to make contact. The Guild had no information on the idol she had found in the tunnels, but she had been told the King's Empire intelligence might be more helpful. Her contact was late. A woman in a bright yellow dress swept into the chair across from Thrace. The woman's silver hair flowed gently down her back and framed an angular face with a pleasant smile. Are you who I'm waiting for? Thrace ventured. Indeed I am, Margaret Bell. The woman extended her hand. Thrace took it. Captain Thrace. Yes, I know. Captain Samantha Thrace, born 1876, in charge of a special guild unit tasked with analysing unusual battle tactics from around the world, under the guise of exchanging information and strengthening relations. And my guess is... Margaret put a finger on her chin and arched her eyebrows, you want to know more about that nasty little statue in your pocket. How did you... Thrace started. The way you hold your tea, obviously. Margaret laughed. It tells me everything I need to know about you. You can't be serious. Margaret smiled. No, not at all. I took the liberty of nicking your papers. She dropped Thrace's pocketbook on the table. Also notice the statue you've got hidden in your knapsack there. Devilish little thing, isn't it? Thrace snatched her papers back and gave Bell a glare. It is. I came across it in the underground. Some of the... She trailed off. Some of the fish monsters were around it. They seemed to be worshipping it. Thrace leafed through her papers to make sure they were all there, still casting the occasional glare at Bell. I think it could be part of something larger, and I was told the SSB may have more information, so I arranged this contact. Margaret was intrigued. Worshipping it, you say? Yes. Thrace shoved her papers back into a pocket. My superiors brushed off the idea. They have it in their heads that the hordes are just beasts acting on instinct. Some sort of religious worship could disprove that, or prove that there's something else entirely. Something we haven't seen before. I've hit a brick wall with the guild, but I still think this could be an indication of something larger brewing. Men who define themselves purely by what they are not, rather than what they are, see every new discovery as an assault on their very identity. Margaret clucked her tongue. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about who or what the monsters worship, but there could be another connection. 
Have you heard of the church of Ephraim Wade? Wade? Thrace frowned. You mean the preacher, whose followers changed into monsters during the Battle of London? Aren't they calling themselves the cult of the Burning Man now? Something about worshipping that burning fire in the sky? That's more or less accurate. I've been investigating a link between them and the Hordes. It strikes me as too much of a coincidence that they hit the city at the same time. The cult certainly worships the Burning Man, and this could be the proof I need to confirm some sort of connection. Would you like to join me on a few inquiries? Thrace shrugged. It couldn't hurt. A few hours later, they were in London's East End, picking their way through cracking streets and rickety buildings. The buildings still showed scorches and claw marks from the battle, In many streets ended in dead ends where people had built impromptu barricades that had yet to be removed. The East End was hit hard in the battle, Margaret explained. Most of Wade's followers were poor, and this end of the city is where a lot of them lived. It was spared the worst of the water, but... A brisk wind brought the smell of rotten eggs, and Thrace wrinkled her nose. And now you see why this is the poor end of town... The wind here blows west to east, so the east end gets to experience the delightful smell of the factories all day long. Funny that the upper class always judges the poor for their smell, when the poor are simply absorbing the stench of profit. Margaret smiled and jutted out a thumb. Grew up on that street, she said as they passed an avenue that was still walled off with a barricade. There's no new construction, Thrace noted. The rest of London is trying to rebuild, but not here. Margaret shrugged. People here are decently pragmatic. Enough of their neighbours were killed that they could just move into an abandoned apartment if theirs was destroyed. It makes keeping tabs on the populace difficult, but I've spent a good bit of time sorting through it. The members of Wade's church and their families are under careful scrutiny, if they still seem to be serving the cult. Tedious work, and not the kind anyone will hand you a medal over. Even heroes cast shadows. Margaret gave a half-smile. On some days, being a hero is as simple as not killing someone. Thrace snorted. True enough. Bell stopped them in front of a squat brick apartment building. Its walls were riddled with bullet holes. This one I've had my eye on for a while, she said, gently knocking on the door. After a moment, the door slowly creaked open, just a crack. A dirty face with a bulbous nose and beady eyes glared out at them from between door and frame. What you want? Margaret's smile actually seemed genuine. Hello, sir. I understand that you may be busy, but my companion and I have a few questions about your son. Ain't got no son! The man spat as he tried to slam the door. Thrace shoved her boot in the doorway, propping it open. Margaret produced a notepad as if nothing had happened, and flipped through it. Let's see. It says here your son's name is Carlton, is that correct? I believe he had some association with a man named Ephraim Wade... The man's eyes glared daggers. He's a good kid. Just got a little confused. He didn't know no better. He's a good... A good kid, sure. Thrace finished. Is he here now? The man bit his lip as his eyes dropped down to the floor. Thrace lowered her voice and placed a hand on the door, slowly pushing it further open. Behind the man, she could see a faint, flickering light shining from underneath a closed door. Your son. Are you afraid of him? Tears welled in the man's eyes, and he nodded his head, affirmative. Just let us in, Thrace whispered. We'll do what we can. I don't need what you're selling, 
The man tried to slam the door, but Thrace held it in place, barely even straining at the effort. Eventually, the man gave up and stood aside. He's a good kid, he muttered under his breath. Thrace and Belle moved into the sparsely furnished apartment and made their way to the door, which Thrace kicked open. The walls had been marked in fresh blood, and their hateful crimson lines seemed to change shape whenever Thrace's eyes were not entirely focused on them. In the centre of the room were three people, each one wearing a predatory grin from ear to ear. Their wrists were cut, and they bled into crude grooves that had been sliced into the floor. The grooves swirled toward a central point, where a bright light pierced the air. The pool of blood and light that poured from it weren't really shining, at least not in the sense that Margaret defined that word. Instead, the pool of blood looked more like it was reflecting a bright light that wasn't actually present in the room. "'Dear God, what have you done, boy?' the old man cried from behind the two women. "'I swear, he's never done anything like this before. I don't know how those two got here, but...' "'He said you would come.' The young man, who must have been Carlton, looked up at her, his voice monotone and emotionless. "'He said you would come.' The other two, a man and a woman, intoned after him, their arms stretched out toward the shimmering blister in reality in the centre of the room. Margaret released a held breath. Well, this is weird. As one, the three people leapt to their feet and charged Thrace and Margaret, their grins never leaving their faces. Thrace backed into the hallway to give them more room to fight. Carlton was at the front of the pack, and she punched him in the temple with a closed fist, dropping him to the floor. Margaret produced a knife from seemingly nowhere and grabbed the woman by the hair. She spun her around and sliced the woman's throat open. Not a very heroic day, I'm afraid, Margaret murmured as she lowered the woman to the floor to bleed out. The second man darted past her and wrapped his arms around Thrace, squeezing with a strength born of madness as he tried to pull her backwards towards the shimmering blood. Thrace let her body go limp, becoming dead weight, that drew the man up short. As Margaret finished with the woman and hurried to the doorway, knife at the ready, the man suddenly spasmed and released Thrace. Margaret paused in surprise, the man had stepped in the blood, but his leg had passed entirely through it, up to the thigh. Instead of trying to pull himself free, he was convulsing and shrieking with pain. As Margaret watched, the man clutched his skull, dropped to the ground, and clawed futilely against the open air. His skin began to split in a hundred different directions, and to Margaret's horror, the wounds expanded, every gash widening to reveal multiple gleaming yellow eyes. Each eye focused on Thrace as the man continued to squirm. Nope, Thrace muttered as she drew her pistol and put three bullets into the man's skull. His body lurched violently and then went still, the many eyes closing and fading back into his skin. She thought for a moment, and then put two more rounds into him. Margaret stepped up next to Thrace as she reloaded and peered down into the shimmering blood. She could see strange shapes shifting in the spaces around the man's leg, and she gave him a shove in order to get a better view. The image rippled like a wave, and with a resigned sigh, Margaret realised that she would have to grab the man and pull him fully free of the portal in order to get a better look. Once the man had been tossed aside, and Margaret had wiped her hands on her dress, her and Thrace approached the glowing portal. On the other side, there were pillars, decorated with carved faces, that reached up as far as the two women could see, and there were strange things chained to them. Many of the things looked like they had once been human, some even still wore tattered clothing. 
One sprouted tentacles where its limbs should be, its twisted face barely recognisable as having once been human. Another was entirely transformed. Only meaty protrusions of flesh, teeth and human hair remained amidst the tentacles and bulging eyes. There was another, stronger ripple of the portal, and suddenly it oozed its way upwards, as if climbing along an invisible wall. The image on the opposite side rippled, and an atonal sound emerged from its depths, like the frantic beating of drums. There was no rhythm to the sound, only noise that washed over the senses of the two women and made them step back cautiously. As Margaret listened, she felt she could see the distorted shapes swaying to the beating of the drums. With a start, she realised that Thrace was slowly rocking on her heels to the maddening sound, and she reached out, grabbing the woman's arm to steady her. A powerful ripple shook the portal, and Margaret jumped back as a woman's face pressed against its surface, her eyes closed and her mouth open in a silent scream. Her face stretched the thin membrane between the worlds, and her eyelids flew open, revealing two mouths filled with needle-like teeth where her eyes should have been. They clamped open and shut, with a series of sickening snaps. Nope, Thrace said again, raising her peacebringer to the woman's head. She fired, but the bullet just seemed to be absorbed into the surface of the portal without harming the woman thing. Margaret frowned and stepped forward, her dagger flashing as she tried to cut the woman's jugular, but her strike was similarly absorbed by the portal with no effect. How do we close it? Margaret asked, sounding almost more curious than concerned. Step beyond, and you shall see that which will set you free. The voice behind them made them jump, and Thrace and Margaret spun around as one. They'd forgotten the boy's father was still there. Tear tracks lined his dirty face, and his head was cocked at an unnatural angle. Step through, Samantha. You were one of them, Thrace demanded. Was I? Or am I? The man's lips kept moving after he finished speaking, slowly coming to a rest in a sickening smirk. The goal is the becoming. Thrace hefted her axe and kept it at the ready. Margaret slid left, trying to flank the man. We have a common enemy, the man said softly. Thrace's brow wrinkled. Who? She glanced at Margaret, who was now almost behind him. The Hordes. But the cult attacked London together with the Hordes. Both seize the same opportunity. The man's head tilted oddly to the other side, seemingly unaware that Margaret was now almost behind him. Thrace chanced a step closer. So, you offer some sort of alliance? No, I offer freedom. I offer the becoming. Thrace raised an eyebrow. She knew better than to argue with insanity. And that is freedom? She gestured towards the portal as another ripple crossed its surface. The burning man is the becoming. Through him, our chains are melted, our true selves realised. Through him, we can stand against the hordes. I think I'm beginning to see, she lied. Margaret was directly behind him now, knife inching toward his throat. Their god is an ancient thing. Unable to change, unable to even free herself from death. A pathetic husk, chained to the veins of a beating world by her own worshippers. She who never sleeps, Thrace murmured. She who never dies, Meridion. Thrace pulled the obscene idol from her knapsack. The man's head violently shook up and down, 
in an approximation of a nod. She seeks to use her gates to subjugate our world. The Guild has opened such gates before. The breach. Her voice trailed off. The man's eyes took on a strange hue, and with a sickness to her stomach, Thrace realised that for the first time the man's smile was genuine. There have always been those who sought the becoming. They have travelled all paths of life in every century. The change spoke to them through cracks in the world. Thrace tightened her grip on her axe. How? Margaret's knife slashed across the man's throat, his body collapsing. Blood oozed out from the wound and into the strange markings on the floor. Why? We were learning so much! Thrace surprised herself with the strength of her outburst. That's what worried me. Margaret gave her an appraising look. All madness seems like truth to those who speak it. She paused, wiping the blood from her knife, her eyes never leaving Thrace, and those who listened to it. Thrace raised a hand to her temples. No, you're right, sorry. I'm not sure what came over. A haunting laughter floated out of the portal. It was glowing brighter now that more blood had been added to the ritual. The sound chilled Thrace. There was no mirth in it, no joy, only a mocking rasp that tore through the air. There was no lie, no madness. The voice seemed to flow out of the portal and wash over them like a physical force. Meridion and her followers will continue to scratch at the gates. She seeks freedom in a new world. You can save the Empire, Samantha. You can become a hero. The portal shook violently, seeming to cascade in upon itself for a moment before rapidly expanding outward. The very edge of the portal took on a life of its own, and it seemed to scroll across the floor toward Thrace without actually moving. Instinctively, Thrace swung her axe at the portal. This time, the weapon bit into the rift, an unearthly howl, like the sound of a massive gust of wind escaping a cavern, emerged from the portal as it continued to stalk toward her. Margaret Bell was behind the portal in an instant, wisps of darkness rolling off her limbs as she sliced into the thing over and over again, swirling the images inside it like a stick slapped against a reflecting pool. The portal began to swirl and collapse in on itself before finally disappearing in a sickening pop. Bell released a deep breath and gave Thrace a smile. Nope. Is that the end of it? Thrace surveyed the room, now somewhat dim with the absence of the portal. Sticky blood coated the floor. The only piece of furniture in the room was a small end table against the wall, and on it sat a book. She cautiously approached the table, picked up the book and read the title aloud. The Contions of Reg Flamay. Wade wrote that. I wouldn't read it if I were you. From what I've come to understand, people who read it have a habit of going mad and growing tentacles. Margaret's face screwed up into a scowl as she cleaned a viscous substance from her knife. Tentacles wouldn't suit you at all, love. They would clash horribly with your eyes. His Majesty's Extraordinary Cases Bureau were tasked with researching it and, well, let's just say that they've sort of gone rogue in the weeks since. He spoke of a gate. Thrace scratched her chin as she held the book at a distance. We need to know if this is going to happen again. The answer may be in this book. I'll have a code breaker from the SSB take a look at it. Margaret gestured at the book. But you shouldn't read it, dear. She motioned toward Thrace with her knife. 
and if my codebreaker grows any extra appendages, you and I are going to have words. Courtroom At the mention of Ephraim Wade, hurried murmurs passed through the courtroom. The defence counsel spun toward the magistrate. My client moves to enter a plea of insanity. On what grounds? the prosecutor hissed. Yeah, what grounds? Thrace echoed. She freely admits to reading the Congeons de Rage Flamme. She has held counsel with the cult of the Burning Man. We have all seen where those practices lead. It is a clear case of insanity. The prosecutor scoffed. Is that what you would say of all who followed Ephraim Wade into madness? Did she not choose to pick up the book of her own free will, and then what, she slaughtered all those men to slake her own insanity? Thrace jumped to her feet. I'm not crazy, you adult idiot. Order! The magistrate shouted. Margaret watched the chaos with absolute calm. From the smile on her face, she almost seemed to be enjoying it. Would you like me to finish my testimony, or are we just screaming things at each other now? Please continue, Miss Bell. The magistrate glared at the defence attorney. Motion denied, counsellor. The defence attorney withdrew a small flask from his jacket, took a quick sip, and then tucked it back into place. This book, Miss Bell, could you describe what your codebreakers learned about it? Margaret adjusted her dress. That is classified. Before the defence attorney could say anything else, she added, But I can certainly inform the court as to the common knowledge surrounding the book. Aside from a great deal of religious gibberish regarding the burning man consuming the world in flames in order to bring about a new world, the Contient de Rage Flamme affects the minds of those who read it, affecting a transformation akin to madness. By itself, it is believed that the book is relatively harmless, but when exposed to the presence of the burning man, those who have read the book undergo a mental and sometimes physical change. The prosecutor stood up. Objection, Your Honour. I'm failing to understand how this is relevant in any way. Fair enough, the defence attorney ceded. Thank you very much, Miss Bell. I believe that is all we need. Margaret inclined her head and gracefully stepped down from the witness chair. As she exited the courtroom, she winked at Thrace. The prosecutor waited until Margaret was gone before addressing the magistrate. Your Honour, I move that we cut to the heart of the matter and question Captain Thrace on the true issue at hand. The defence has stalled this trial long enough with these double-edged character witnesses. The magistrate nodded in agreement and gestured toward Thrace. Captain, if you would again take the stand. Once Thrace was seated, the prosecutor approached her. Captain, how did you learn about the portal that opened at Stonehenge before it even appeared? Thrace sighed. She had known that this question was coming. I dreamed about it. The defence attorney jumped back to his feet. Insanity plea! Thrace and the prosecutor both snapped their heads toward him. Shut up! They shouted in unison. Meekly, the man sunk back into his chair. Yes, Thrace continued, knowing how crazy it made her sound. I had a dream about a portal opening at Stonehenge. I suspected that, I don't know, but I decided that it was better to be prepared and look foolish than to be caught off guard. So you recklessly set off, leading a full company of the king's men to their deaths on your suspicions, based on a dream. The prosecutor scoffed. 
Multiple reports were filed of beasts that hadn't been seen since the Battle of London in the area. Between the reports and my suspicions, Margaret Bell was able to get a company of men released to the command of the SSB for a special operation. She put in multiple requests for a Titan, but was denied each time. Thrace's eyes were daggers. Well, the prosecutor waved an arm. At least our military showed some prudence and didn't allow you to destroy a king's hand as well. If I had the appropriate armament for what we faced, those men would be alive. Thrace growled through gritted teeth. Then convince us, Captain. What happened? That's it for another episode of the Earthside Echo. Join us next time for the conclusion of Trial by Fire.